Father God, we just want to thank you, Father, for this morning. Once again, O oh Lord, we are here in your presence. A good God, your mercy and yours forever. And therefore this morning, O oh Lord, <clears throat> even as we are here in the house of the Lord, Father, to hear from you in the presence of your Holy Spirit, for you said in your word, a two or three are gathered in my name, you will be there in our midst. And therefore this morning, we believe, O oh Lord, that you are here in our midst. Touch us, O oh Lord, touch us, touch us, touch us, Lord. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would feed us with your word, strengthen us in our spirit, man. Empower us, O oh Lord, Father, so that we will be obedient. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, even as we receive your word by faith. And strengthen us, O oh Lord, Father, in our resolve to follow hard after you, even until the end, O oh Lord. To that end, I pray that you would anoint us even in the speaking and the hearing of today's word. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, for in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, we are here, um, been in, on Wednesdays, we've been looking at preparing ourselves for, for the coming of the Lord. Uh, today I want to look at a very important aspect of preparing ourselves, uh, is meeting God as judge because it is appointed for unto man to die once that's it and after that it's set and hebrews chapter 6 calls it not ordinary judgment he calls it eternal judgment <laughs> so that judgment is set for all eternity there is no going to be any turning back god is not going to repent of the judgment that he's going to um, uh, pronounce over our lives so this morning we will have to look at a very important aspect of uh, God, the God meeting God as judge. Why is this important? Because you see um, that everyone, every every time um, John, the one who uh, leaned on the breast of Jesus when he was on the earth, remember, uh, he was even in that Michael Michelangelo painting. Uh, what, what which painting is that? That painting. Um, that he has, uh, the painting that he has, you find Jesus leaning, uh, John leaning on the breast of Jesus. But then on the island of Patmos, when he uh, sees Jesus as the judge, he's always forever constantly falling on his face before God. Because this time, Jesus is not coming as the Savior. This time he's coming back as the judge. Therefore, we have to prepare ourselves. Huh. Okay, a church which is prepared for the Toughest exam is a well-prepared church. Yeah, then that is the, what is the toughest exam. It is not that the trials and the, situ- and, the, and, the, and the and the tribulations that you go through in this in this in this world. It is the fi- final ultimate test is when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the reason why Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five. This is what he says. Therefore, we make it our aim. Can you read that? Can you see that, everybody? Font is okay. Uh, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's our aim. And there's an, that's our ambition. God has to be well-pleased, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay, the life of faith is a life which has an ambition to please God. Why? For we must all. You see that word? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is called the Bema seat. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then he says, knowing therefore the 
terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your consciences. You see, um, a preliminary thing will be like, you know, I told you, right, one, one of my professors, he has, uh, he used to have Viva exam. Not written exam, Viva exam. And when you enter into the professor's chamber for answering Viva, your heart is in your mouth. <laughs> okay. Even in practicals, you know, in engineering and in engineering colleges, all the colleges have practical exams. In the practical exam, the experiment is just nothing. Ultimate test is a Viva. Hmm. That is where, whether you are, whether you are good in your subject or, or not is, 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 is decided. And that is, that is essentially what decides your grade. So, knowing the terror of the Lord, it is not the terror of the professor, it is not the terror of the pastor, it is not the terror of the prophet, it is not the terror of the apostle, it is the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. This is such an important, uh, truth to realize, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. So we have to prepare ourselves for judgment. And judgment is already beginning. It says in First Peter chapter 4, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? So you all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God says, even during the day of judgment, it's the house of God which will be judged first because we know much. And even now, we are being, uh, we see that those who, those people who profess to know God are those people who are disciplined, judged, etc. Isaiah chapter 26, this is what it says. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. This is Isaiah chapter 26 verse 7. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name. And for the remembrance of you, and verse 9, with my soul I have desired you in, my, in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I seek you early. Why? For when your judgments are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn what? Righteousness. When your judgments are on the earth. You see, right from the beginning, you'll see, right from the beginning, God, the moment sin entered into the garden of Eden, God began to judge. He judged the devil, he judged Satan, he judged the serpent, he judged Eve and he judged Adam. God is a God of judgment. For when your judgments are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Now look at another verse. Same chapter, Isaiah chapter 26 in the next verse. It says, verse 10, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly. Look at this. And will not behold the majesty of the Lord. So it's very, very important for us to understand that when God sends judgments, even during this time of pandemic, every country is in a mess and everybody says that. But um, it is in the judgments of God, we actually learn mercy. We begin to appreciate mercy. James chapter 2. For judgment is without mercy to the one who will show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a very comforting word. Only when we understand true judgment. I'll tell you something. Now you go to your Viva exam. You mess up your entire exam. And now you're literally dependent upon the professor to decide your grade. What does he say? Okay. I'm, I can, I have every reason to flunk you, <laughs> but I'm giving you a pass grade. What has happened? My mercy has triumphed over judgment. But will you appreciate mercy when, unless until you understand what judgment is? That's the idea. 
So we need to understand judgment and the parameters of God's judgment and how do we respond to the parameters and the and the and the and the benchmarks of God's judgment. That is the reason why it says in Isaiah chapter 11, he says, he will not judge by the seeing of his eyes or the hearing of his ears. He will judge the people in righteousness and with equity, the poor of the poor of the earth. Righteousness and equity, that will be his plumb line, right? So, we need to understand what are the parameters of God's judgment. Familiar passage, but always it surprises, okay? Let us look at uh, this very familiar portion in which God, uh, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to enumerate seven attributes of the way God is going to judge his people, or everybody, hmm? everybody, and particularly his people. I'm going to only look at two today. I'm going to, I'm not going to list all of them. I'm just going to list only two and we are going to uh, delve uh, and prepare ourselves. In the coming days, we'll look at the others. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 onwards. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Okay. For you who judge, practice the same things. The only things that you don't realize. Yeah. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truths. First thing. What is that? The judgment of God is according to truths. So first standard of God's judgment is judgment according to truths. We'll just look at this first and then we'll go to the second parameter. By the time we finish this, our hearts will be in our mouths and uh, we will be panting, hopefully. Hmm? <laughs> so, what is the judgment? It is judgment according to truth. Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 17. Sa- what is truth? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse, uh, John, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. So, you have two Parameters. There's the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Both, both have to, have to tally. And of course, the spirit of, uh, spirit of truth as well. So you have sanctify them by the truth. So God is going to judge you by the word and by Jesus Christ. Both the person of Jesus Christ and the word that he preached. That is the reason why he says, I will not condemn you. The words that I spoke to you will be, will, will judge you on that day. That's John's Gospel chapter 12. Why is this truth important? James chapter 1 verse 18, a very familiar verse, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Do you see that, everybody? This is by the word of truth we have been begotten. So, if God's parameter of judgment is according to truth, how should our response be? Okay? If God's parameter of judgment is according to truth, what should our response be? How should we respond? Because it's going to be according to truth, right? First, this is only, obviously, this is only for people who are born again, okay? This is, this is, this will not make sense to other people who are not born again. That is the reason why James chapter 1 verse 18 will say, with the word of truth, he begat us. We were born again, not of corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, which is essentially the word of truth, right? So, if Truth is going to be the parameter of God's judgment. How should we respond? What are the things that we have to examine in our own lives in order to understand that we have indeed grasped this idea that God's judgment will be according to truth? Alright, let us see. Romans chapter 2, 
following the same thought from Paul. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing, doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to what? Repentance. The first thing that we need to check, if we know that the judgment of God is based, is, is according to truth, we have to check or examine the depth of our repentance. First thing what? We have to check the depth of our repentance. If the judgment of God is based upon truth, how much is my repentance? How deep is my repentance? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the, where? Judgment. With this generation condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. What is the preaching of Jonah? It is the truth. And what did they do when they received the preaching of Jonah? They repented. Remember? They repented. And what will happen? The men of Nineveh will condemn this generation which refuses to repent. Or their their repentance is very, very superficial. And condemn it. Because they did not understand that the standard of God's judgment is based upon truth. Okay? Law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When truth comes, one of the things that he expects from us is repentance because he doesn't come to condemn us, but to convict us. The spirit of truth, that's what it it says in uh, John's Gospel chapter 16. When he, who is that he? The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, which is called the spirit of truth. When he comes, he will convict this world of what? Sin. Why? Because they did not believe in me. Of righteousness. Why? Because I go to my father. And third thing of judgment because the ruler of this world has been already judged. Therefore, if God's standards of judgment is based upon truth, how deep and how sincere is my repentance? Okay. Is it, is it repentance or pretense? You understand? How deep and how sincere is my repentance is what we have to check. Look at what it says in Jonah chapter 3. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh, what did they do first? They believed God. Do you see that? Proclaimed a fast. Put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, What? Let us, let neither man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything good. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will relent? You see, this is what we call repentance. This is a change of heart. I didn't give you that verse. I, I, I want to show you a verse and uh, we can turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, 20, 20, 20. It's a very powerful verse. You read through Ezekiel chapter 20. Uh, always convicts me. Look at what it says. It's, uh, it's This is verse number 43. Verse 42 onwards. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land, the country that I swore to give your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. What do you what will you do? You will hate yourself. 
you will loathe yourself that's exactly what happened to uh, to job when he looked at jesus christ and he looked at jesus i heard with my hearing of his eyes and of my ears now i see with my eyes what do i do i abhor myself and i repent right so let every man turn from his way if god's judgment is based upon truth and if you really believe the truth what is the what is the depth of your repentance have you truly repented truly is your repentance repentance genuine or is it only pretense is something which we need to look at luke's gospel chapter 5 look at what it says very powerful again uh, this is verse 5 onwards this is when jesus is asking simon to cast his net on the other side but simon answered and said to him master we have toiled all night and caught nothing this is when jesus is asking simon simon throw your net onto the other side and what will happen you will receive a big catch he didn't say big catch you will receive a catch yeah then he says i've toiled all night but according to your word at your word what will i do i will let down the net and when they had done this they caught a great number of fish and you know that what happens and they were all su- surprised uh, verse 8 will say something very powerful when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus's knees saying depart from me for i am a sinful man what is happening you know what i did not believe your word i did not believe it forgive me yeah sure Very small, okay. One second. Yes. One second. Okay, I think this should be okay. Let's see. Is that okay? Is this fine? <laughs> Nevertheless, at your word. I mean, I, actually, I think the new computer is kind of. Uh, uh i am not yet still used to the font i was i was trying that in the morning all right nevertheless at your word and he says depart from me i am a sinful man why did he say that i did not believe a word forgive my unbelief lord i did not believe you when you said that i had doubt in my heart he said repent repent how deep is your repentance see the depth of your repentance is always shown you cannot hide it you cannot pretend it's like a city which is upon a hill the moment you start repeating it will show in your life things will change the way you behave will change the decisions that you make everything will change the your entire demeanor your entire body language will change i'll show you a powerful verse i mean in this context matthew chapter 21 let us read it together okay again this font is i think a little small let us read it anyways but what think he okay this is uh, the parable of the two sons okay, right a certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said son go on to, go work today in my vineyard go work today in my vineyard he answered and said i will not but after after what he repented and he went you you see that work in my vineyard and he said i will not go that means he was reluctant in the in the beginning but then afterward he repented and he went and then and he came to the second and said likewise and he said i go sir and he went not whether of them twain did the did the will of the, did the will of his father why am i using the kjv because the word repent is used only in the kjv now no other translation uh, uses this okay and it's the same thing uh, uh, which is metanoia which is essentially to change your mind whether whether of them whether of them twain did the will of his father they said to him the first jesus said unto him verily i say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of what god before you why did they go to the kingdom of god because they repented it's interesting and he calls repentance what working in the vineyard do you see that 
Okay? Again, let's move on. So, for John came unto the uh, unto you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and when you had seen it, you did not repent afterwards, that you might believe him. You see, what is he saying? One of the works, I mean, let, let me tell you something. Our witness to the people who are closest to us matters. And the day you repent, it will change. I remember the day when I came back from my youth camp to when I first, I was 18 years old. It's not the first time I heard the gospel. That was the first time I responded to the gospel. Hmm? I responded to the gospel. When I came back home, first thing, my parents were not there. And I took the, neighbor, I took the keys from my neighbor's home. And I went inside, cleaned up the whole home. And my, by the time my parents came back, they looked at the home and they looked at my face and I said, what happened to you? What has happened? Repentance, it's showing now. It's changed. My life has changed. I was not the same as, the same, the, the, the way I was before. That's exactly what happens to this, this, uh, this woman uh, who was a sinner. She comes to Simon the Pharisee's home and she's weeping and she's cleansing the feet of, uh, feet of Jesus and she says, your sins are forgiven you. And he says, he who loves much, uh, is forgiven much, loves much. I can see the repentance in her. She's, she has now become a worker in my vineyard. Her lifestyle has changed. Right, alabaster flask of oil that uh, Mary gives. What has happened? She's becoming a work worker because her life has changed. Through her life, she's saying, "You know what? I'm not the same again. My life has changed. The way I think has changed. Everything about me has changed." Right? I once I, I once was blind, but now I see. You remember when uh, the Samaritan woman? Look at how she becomes a worker in God's vineyard. John's Gospel, chapter four. The woman said to her, said to him, Sir, give me this water. This is John's Gospel chapter 4 verse 15 onwards. That I might, uh, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband for you have five husbands. The one which you are, with you, with whom you are living is not your husband. In that you have spoken what? Truly. What has happened? You've been confronted by the truth. Now look at what happened. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are not greater than Jacob. I'm like, what a comparison. <laughs> Jacob is a crook. <laughs> it is not that you are greater than Jacob. You are a prophet because you know exactly what my lifestyle is. And in spite of the fact that you know exactly who I am, in the way I'm living, and in the way I'm behaving, I'm virtually living like a harlot. People, people are calling me by those names. But you still are talking to me. You know what happens? Look at what it says. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see what has happened. She's become her testimony. There's a testimony of that lady in that woman, in, in, in that, in that city. What has happened? She's become a worker in God's vineyard through her repentance. You see that? That's exactly what is, what he's talking about. How deep and they look at her and they come to Jesus and they say, you know what? This lady, I know something's changed about this lady. She's not the same. She's not the same. Come and see the man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And after that, they stay, Jesus stays with them for two days. And what, what do they say? No, we don't believe you because you have spoken to us. We believe in him because we have heard him. And we know that he is the Messiah. How deep. 
deep is your repentance. First, if you have been confronted by the truth, and if you know the judgment of God is based upon a truth, you have to check the genuineness of your repentance, the genuineness of your conversion. Very, very important for us to realize exactly what happens to Zacchaeus. When Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house and he says, Zacchaeus, I have to abide in your home. He doesn't say, I want to come and stay and visit your home. No, 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 no. I want to abide in your home. And he says, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I restore back fourfold. And you know what Jesus says? Today, salvation has come into this man's house for he himself is a son of Abraham. Why? There's works of repentance. Now he becomes a worker in God's vineyard because there's a change in his life. There's a radical change. He has repented. He's not the same again. And after that, He's absolutely, I mean, he's going to become a witness exactly what happens to Levi, Matthew, right? Jesus says, come and follow me. The next time he has a fantastic, uh, what, a meal in his home. All the publicans and the sinners are there. And all the Pharisees are upset. What has happened? Matthew, through his life, by inviting Jesus into his home, what is he doing? He's saying, you know what? I'm not the same anymore. My life has changed. My repentance is genuine. You see the very word of God staying and abiding in my home. Okay? Understand this. God, if good, if the righteousness, I mean, if the judgment of God is based upon truth, what we need to ask ourselves today is, Lord, how genuine and how deep is my repentance? Okay, then repentance is based upon something very important. Okay, let us look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 18, hmm? verse 37. <clears throat> Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now look at this, uh, different uh, renderings. I just want to uh, show you different renderings. And I will say, everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. NLT says, all who love the truth recognize that, that what I say is true. Let me tell you what it means. Uh, if I, if I uh, uh, you know, every day in the morning, in our school, we have what we call as uh, rolling cup. Okay, rolling cup means uh, the person who has finished his goals on time, who has logged into Zoom on time, who has attended the devotion, and who has finished all his goals on time. He has not become become a headache to the supervisors. Okay, and the, and and that day the supervisor decides this is the best student for this day. So the next day he gets what we call as a rolling cup. He's called the rolling cup winner. And you know, the question the supervisor asks is, who do you think is the rolling cup winner today? <laughs> Everybody has a great exalted opinion about themselves, but most of the time, most of them don't. Okay, They say, this person, this person, this person, everybody begins to take sides. Okay, And finally, the maximum number of votes goes to a person and ultimately he becomes the, by and large, he becomes the uh, what do we say? Uh, the winner of the rolling cup. Sometimes what happens is, uh, consistently one guy is there. Okay, Ebenezer is in our school. A guy is, is I think, is in level three now. Every day he gets a rolling cup. Okay? He's always on time. He does everything on time. He's every day the rolling cup. So every time uh, the supervisor says, "Who is the rolling cup winner for the day?" Everybody says Ebenezer. Okay. 
Afterwards, what happens is that one day, suddenly one friend, one fine day, one guest says, you know what, I want to also get the rolling cup and he works very hard and he becomes better than Ebenezer for that day. And the next day, the supervisor says, who do you think is the rolling cup winner? And everybody says Ebenezer by default. And suddenly the supervisor says, no, it is not Ebenezer, it is Phineas. And everybody says, oh, what is happening over here? There is somebody in the mind of the supervisor. Okay. You are on the side of truth, meaning what? You have taken the side of the supervisor, means you are exactly knowing the thoughts of the supervisor, right? Now, what is God, what is God saying? Everybody who's on the side of truth, what does he do? He hears my voice, meaning, meaning, for example, if I say, uh, I preach the word, and I don't say anything, I just preach the word, and the Holy Spirit convicts and says, this is what you are, Vijay. Okay? Something. No, what do I do? What do, I have two, op- two options. I say, no, this is not right. Or I take the side of the Holy Spirit. That is what we call as confession. You know what confession is? When my words about myself agrees with what God's thoughts are about me. Okay? I'll give an example. I'll give an example. This is what we call as at one moment. At one with God. This is exactly what my opinion about myself is in the light of what I heard. And God says, you're right. Okay? Let us uh, let us see that. Okay, uh, Proverbs chapter twenty-eight, verse thirteen: He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Right? Now look at one guy who says, "What you say about me is exactly true." Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse seven. Everybody knows this. Nathan said to David, "You are that man." And what did David say to Nathan? "I have sinned." You see that? Nathan said to David, "You are that man," and David said. Yes, I have sinned. I'm not trying to cover myself up. That is what we call as confession. If I have been confronted by the word of God, how tr- if I know that the judgment of God is according to truth, how genuine and how true is my confession? How deep is my repentance? And my repentance is directly related to my confession about what te- God tells about me. It is not after God pronounced judgment that you will say, I have sinned. For example, Aiken said, no? After everything has, is over, he says what? I have said. Is it going to help you now? No. You just imagine, no? They were defeated in I, and God said, Israel sinned. Who should be the first fellow to come and come and confess? Achan. He waited till the last minute. And tribes after tribes were getting separated. Family after family was getting separated. And finally, he got separated and then he said, Joshua said, come here, Achan. Give glory to God. <laughs> Give glory to God. Then he says, you know what? I did it. I hid it. Just imagine if you would have said just before, Joshua, I'm so sorry. I don't know what would have happened. You see, when God's judgment about you and you said, yes, this is what is true about me. When both of these two agree, this is what we call as genuine confession. What is that? Genuine confession. Everything else is pretense. Okay. If you try to cover up, no? Adam, where are you? I hid. Who told you? The woman. You see, what is happening is trying to cover himself, but never acknowledging the truth about himself. First Samuel chapter 15, again, another example. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, what did he say? I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people. You see that? What did he do? I feared the people. And obeyed their voice. Whose whose problem is this? Not my problem. 
but their problem. Verse 13. Now, uh, verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. You see that? He's still not agreeing. That is not confession. He is not confession. So, how genuine your, uh, the genuineness of your repentance is directly proportional to your confession. Sometimes, you know, your parents know everything that you did. They'll come and ask you, what did you do? Even in companies, no? When they find, uh, they want to fire a person because of some arbit behavior, they gather all the evidence. Now, evidence is stacked against him. There's no, there's no way of escaping. They know exactly what he has done and finally, during the, during the process of uh, sending him home, they ask him, uh, can you just uh, say why we called you? To see whether he's going to hide or whether he's going to confess. You see, what is confession? Agreeing with God about who you truly are. That is confession. That is confession. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Look at what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and what is not in us? And the truth is not in us. And the truth is not in us. Because the judgment of God is based upon truth. But if we confess our sins, you see that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's just not faithful. He's also just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we have said we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we confess our sins, the first thing, the genuineness of your repentance and the, sorry, the, the depth of your repentance and the genuineness of your confession. If God's word is based upon truth, how deep is my repentance? How genuine is my confession? How genuine is my confession? And it, this confession should happen before, not later. It's not like the uh, the, the, the rich uh, rich man went into heaven and he says, uh, sorry, went into went to hell and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. It's not going to happen now. It's over. Okay? Okay, so the genuineness and the truth, this is what I am. You're agreeing with God. Balaam also said, I have sinned. But did he agree with God? <laughs> no. Okay. Pharaoh also said, oh, yo, please forgive me this for last time. Me, I am wrong. We are bad. We are sinners. Our people are bad. But never changes. Heart was as hard as before. Like a hard nut. He was getting even more harder. More and more. Okay. So the first thing, the genuine, sorry, the depth of my, of my repentance and the genuineness of my confession. Because the judgment of God is based upon truth. Third thing. John's Gospel, chapter 17. Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The first is what? The depth of my, of my repentance, the genuineness of my confession, and how radical is my sanctification. Okay, why? Because sanctify them by the truth. Because your word is true. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is washing us by the water by the, of the word so that he might sanctify us and prepare as a bride without spot or without wrinkle. And what is his word? Your word is truth. He's going to sanctify us. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 15. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Those who are being Sanctified. So how, how do you know? How do you judge your uh, sanctification? How do you evaluate your sanctification process, for example? Let us see. How, what does it mean to uh, be a per- person who knows? I mean, you can, at least, I'm, see, we can all, we can never always uh, gauge perf- thoroughly and perfectly how, mu- how much I'm sanctified. That is only God who can say that. But 
are we in the process of being sanctified? That much we can see. Right? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. Verse 16 onwards and then verse 22. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were what? Slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now look at what, what doctrine stands for. Doctrine stands for the judgment of God is based upon. And so for what, what does doctrine stand for? It stands for truth. Okay. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered. Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Okay. If he sets you free, you are indeed free. We've been celebrating Remembrance Day, by the way. I think today is Remembrance Day, 11th. Today's 10th. Tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, 11th. Full Canada, they'll be celebrating Remembrance Day. Okay. They've been set free from tyranny. Okay. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So what, what sets you free? It is the truth of the word of God which sets you free. What does it set you, set you free from? It sets you free from sin. Okay. Look at what it says again. Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, because you've been, you've been a person who's been obedient to the truth, and having been set free from sin, what has, what has happened to you? You have become slaves of righteousness. And look at what's verse 22. Powerful verse. But now, having been set free from sin, what sets you free from sin? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What has happened to you? You, you have surrendered yourself to that form of teaching. You have committed, com, uh, committed yourself to that form of doctrine. You come under the authority of the word of God. And even as you receive the truth of the word of God, the more deliverance is taking place in your life. The t- lies in your heart and your mind are being replaced by the truth of the word of God. And what has happened? You are becoming more and more sanctified. What is happening? You are getting more and more victory over your sin. And verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to what? Sanctification or holiness. You see that? Ultimately what happens? You have a fruit of what we call as sanctification or holiness. Holiness. And the end of that is what? Everlasting life. Okay? This is important. So, how genuine, how deep is your repentance, how genuine is your confession, and how radical is your sanctification. I mean, you are committed to living a life which is separate, separated unto God. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. In this particular case, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That you should abstain from what? Sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Because it says, you know, why is this important in these last days? How do I know that I fear God when I keep myself sexually pure? Understand that? No whoremongers, no adulterers will enter into the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But what has happened? You've been sanctified. You've been washed. You've been cleansed by the washing of the regeneration. Now you cannot live like that anymore. Okay. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all. So as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness but unto what? Holiness or sanctification. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. God is truth. His word is truth. His son is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. And the church 
is the pillar and ground of truth. Now, let me tell you something. Why is this important? Who inherits the kingdom ultimately? Who inherits the promises of God? Who inherits and ultimately who is a person who overcomes and inherits? Look at what it says in Acts chapter 26, verse 17 onwards. This is gospel, okay? I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I have sent you now to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Okay, fine. That is just not complete. That you may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are being what? Sanctified. So let me tell you something. 600,000 men came out of Egypt. Did they receive forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. But did they inherit? None of them inherited. Why? Because they were not sanctified. They were not set apart. They still wanted Egypt in their minds. Hmm? They still had Egypt in their hearts. See, one of the things that we I realize, no, I can do nothing without the grace and the favor of God. How many of you realize that? Okay, let your favor be upon me, O Lord. Let your grace be upon me. Every day, what do I want? I want favor with God. Right? Everybody wants that. Nothing can happen without favor with God. Okay, you want favor with God? Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 1. You know this. Daniel purposed in his heart. What did he do? Not to defile himself. That means to keep himself pure. Keep himself sanctified. Keep himself separated. And what does it say? Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill. What, what did God bring him to? Favor and goodwill. You want the favor of God? Live separate unto God. Second Timothy chapter 2. Powerful verses again. But in a great house there are not only what? Vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Underline that in your, in your Bibles. And then flee also youthfulness, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a Pure heart. You see that? Sanctified. Set apart. Purity. That is what we are talking about. Purity. Again, one of my favorite verses from Proverbs chapter 22 verse 11. Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 11. You can read it with me. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips will have... King will be his friend. Who will be his friend? King will be his friend. I mean, it's powerful. I mean, when you look at the life of Daniel, it's powerful. Uh, Darius becomes the king. I think Darius, if I'm right, Dariavish, yeah. Darius becomes the king of uh, king of uh, Babylon. I mean, he uh, inherits, and he's one hundred. He has one hundred twenty-seven satraps all over. Top three has has been separated out of the, of the top three. Who's the who's the fellow? Who's the who's the topmost? He's the topmost is Daniel. Never will compromise. They all want to find some occasion against Daniel. Okay, and you know the decree. The decree is made. Daniel is found guilty. And look at what the king, the king is trying his level best to save Daniel. What has happened? He has got the favor of the king. Why? Because he loves purity of heart. King is trying his level best to save Daniel. But of course he can't. And they put him in the, in the lion's den. They seal it. 
Why do they why do they, why do they seal it? Because they're thinking that the king is again going to come and somehow rescue him. So they seal it, they put the seal, so that even when the king comes, he sees the seal and he runs away. So that night the king is not able to sleep. He's fasting and praying. Daniel is feasting, I don't know. He's fasting there. He's not able to sleep. Daniel is absolutely fast asleep. He says, no, no, no choreography today. And he sends all the choreographers home. And you know, just before, before he puts him into the lion's den, he says, may the Lord whom you serve from your pure heart save you. He says. And then the next day morning, he comes with hurriedly to the two, uh, to the lion's den. And then he says, Daniel, the servant of the most high God, did the Lord whom you serve with sincerity, was he able to save you? You know what Daniel says? My testimony, king, I never did any, anything against you. My heart is clean. You see, purity, sanctified. What sanctifies you? You sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctified, set apart. How set apart are we to God? How set set apart are we to God? James chapter 4. Adulteresses and adulteresses. Adulteress. Don't you know, friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you what? Double-minded. Double-minded fellows you are. Because you have part of the world inside of you. You are trying to put bo- your legs in both both the boats. Half, one one leg in the world and one leg in the uh, leg in the church. It's not going to happen. You see, Romans chapter 12 is very clear. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And then what? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not. Do not. You cannot. You this the I mean you cannot. That's what I, I one one word which spoke to me on Sunday was you cannot be a lunatic. What are you? What is a who's a lunatic? If you heard Sunday sermon, you see many lunatics in the house of God. That was one of the jokes that Pastor did, made, and everybody forgot conveniently. No, who are those people who constantly open the tap of the world? And constantly keep on cleansing. Is it possible? No. You have to shut down one thing completely. You have to pull down Jericho. You cannot rebuild Jericho and still say, I want to be in Jerusalem. It's impossible. Jericho has to come down completely. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You know that, right? And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. It pulls down strongholds. My mind is set apart to God. My thoughts, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, if is if there is anything praiseworthy, think on those things, he says. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your mind. It will garrison your minds and your hearts. You know why? Because your mind and your thoughts are absolutely clean and because you are not allowing the tab of the world to come and come into, into your mind and, and to, and to uh, defile it. You see? Because there are two lights, the greater light and the lesser light. Genesis chapter 1. Hmm? Then God made two great lights. What is that? The greater light to rule the day. Hmm? And the lesser light to lo- rule the night. Okay, He made the stars also. Fine. What is the greater light that rules, rules, rules the day? Tell me. Sun. You know how hot the sun is, right? Thermonuclear reaction, the temperature is of the order of, can't even measure. And what is the lesser light? Moon. 
And I, I was I was just trying to look up on uh, Google. I was thinking, what is the temperature of the moon? The moon has got no standard temperature. It ranges from plus 123 degrees centigrade to minus 123 degrees centigrade. That means it is cold on certain seasons, hot on certain seasons. What about uh, the sun? Always hot. Never changes. The moon keeps on changing. I'll, I'll tell you, moon is like the law, is like, is like two sides of the, of, 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 of two kinds of believers. One people who are on the side of the law. <laughs> one pe- one people who are on the side of license. One people who say, we have to obey the law and if you don't adhere to these instructions, you are never saved. They bring you back to the law. And, and to condemnation. On the other side, other people, hey, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, God forgives. What is that? It is a lesser light. And what does God do? He said there are only two great, one is the greater light which is the sun and that is one thing you can never look into. Can you look into the sun? No. If you try to look into the sun, finished, gone. Okay. You can, can you look at the moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look at the moon, you can manage, no? What is moon? You can manage. <laughs> Something which can be managed. Sun you cannot manage. See, he says, when you see the sun, you can't see anything, but without the sun, you can't see anything. It is the sun. It is the truth. The greater light. What is the greater light? It is the truth of the word of God. That has to rule you. Not this changing thing. Today one day you are hot, the other day you are cold. What are you? You are changing like the moon. One day you go to the law, one day you go to the world. Both are dangerous. That is the reason why it says in Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Truth. Okay. Okay. The greater the light to rule by the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So pull it down. You cannot have the top of the world open and think that you will be sanctified. One thing you should do is first get rid of all your subscriptions first. What is that? Prime Video, Netflix, whatever subscriptions you have. And as much as possible, stay away from YouTube. Because for us, for people like us, we have to listen to a lot of sermons and we need to ask God. God give us the grace that we will not waste time on junk. Okay? So first, what is that? How deep is your repentance? Second, how genuine is your sanctification? Third, uh, Sorry, uh, confession. Third, how radical is your sanctification? Are you, is, is there a desire to live a life which is separate? Separate! Okay. I am yours. Hmm? You are mine and I am yours. Then, the third thing. First Peter chapter 1. What does the truth do? If God's standard is truth, if God judges you based upon truth, how deep is your repentance? How genuine is your, is your confession? How radical is your sanctification? And the fourth one is, how genuine is your love for your brothers? Look at what it says in First, first Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Okay, through the Spirit. It is, uh, by the way, all your NIV, ESV, NLT will remove something. What will? What did they remove? The, no, 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 no. Through the Spirit has been removed very, very conveniently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love 
for the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So what is that? There is a genuine love for your brothers. So these are there are two parts of this genuine love. How many parts? Two parts. If you genuinely love. Meaning, we love him because we but because he first loved us. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 4. And I'll tell you what this kind of love is. Okay, This is love according to Peter. Genuine love. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have, and have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. So what is this kind of love? This kind of a love which is a love which forgives unconditionally. What is it? It is a love which forgives unconditionally because we know that God has forgiven us unconditionally. He covered us unconditionally. Now, for example, you have a credit card debt. That's a 40,000 rupees you have to pay. You don't have the money. And somebody comes and says, the Lord told me uh, that, you know, you you have a credit card debt and and God asked me to help you out. Uh, How much is your debt? And you're very very, very embarrassed about it and you say, you don't want to say the figure. And if I say, will 50,000 rupees cover it? Will 50,000 rupees cover it? So I write a check and you say, yeah, that's fine. It covers it. What has happened? God covered us by paying for our debt. So what what are we supposed to do? Cover others. Because he covered us, we cover others. Understand? That's exactly what happened, no? To the guy who owned 10,000 talents, what did he do? Lord, I can't pay you back. And what did God say? I for, he forgave him completely because he had compassion upon him. But who's going to pay for it? That means he was going to pay it, pay for it, right? I'm going to bear the loss, no problem. You go. Right? That is the first part. You know, one man of God said very powerfully, we made a very powerful statement. He says, God gives, gives, gives and forgets. That is what we, that is what we call as forgiveness. For gives. Okay. He gives, gives, gives and forgets. Man gets, gets, gets and never forgets. <laughs> you see. So what is the first kind of love? That's exactly what, how many times if my brother comes and sins against me? 70 times 7. Forgive unconditionally. It's not, it's, it's not that you want to trust him unconditionally. No. But you forgive him. You hold nothing against your brother. Right? So that is what the first part of covering God's love. Uh, covering meaning what? Love covers a multitude of sins. What? You overcome, I mean, you overlook the faults of the others and you cover him. Because God overlook, overlooked so many of your faults. If God were to uh, mark our iniquities, who can stand before him? And we can never pay him back. Amen? So the first part of God's love is when you forgive unconditionally. What is that? You forgive unconditionally. No, second part. The way you cover. This is the latter part. But the latter part cannot be implemented until you have the former. Let me tell you. What is the latter part? This is not James chapter 5, 4. Let me just change it here. This is James chapter 5. Okay. Apologize. 5. Okay, let's see. Yeah. James chapter 5. Brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, what does he do? I, I told you, right? The judgment of God is based upon truths. Okay? Judgment of God is based upon truth. Love is based upon truth. 
You cannot, you should speak the truth in love. Okay, so love has to be based upon truth. What does love do? One of the things that love, love does in the, in, in the chapter on, on love, First Corinthians chapter 13 says, love rejoices in truth. Okay, so love is never, it never, never, um, uh, winks at, uh, at, at, at your sin. It never condones your sin, but it shows you a way, way out. Look at what it says in verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see that? So there are two coverings over here. First covering is that somebody sinned against me. Okay. And I forgive him. Absolutely. Nothing against him. He comes and asks me for forgiveness. Absolutely. Even before he asks me for forgiveness, Lord, I don't even want to have anything against him. Lord, I forgive him from my heart. But will I trust him? That's a different thing altogether. He, the trust, we are not talking about trust. We keep uh, listening to this over and over again from the, in the church. We are not talking about trust, but we never want to have anything against anybody. Alright? If you, somebody has done something against us, that's their problem, not my headache. Okay. I don't want to walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. No, I don't want to. Alright? Because I know it is not good for me, right? Right? And someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What is this part now? This part is if you genuinely love your brother, what will you do to him? You will, you will confront him. You will confront him. That's the reason why it says wounds and bruises scrub away evil. Ah, I like that word. Scrub. Have you seen scrubber? Deepika uses a scrubber in our in our church office, no? Which 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 scrubber is better, steel or green? Ah, steel is better. Why? If you want to remove fat, what you what do you use? Steel or green? Oil. Oil is fat, no? Now, what do you use? Is it is it is it nice on the on the on the on the skin? No, it is not. It says folly is bound up on the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it away. Folly is what? Bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it away. So we are all prone to wonder. <laughs> and so, if a person who turns you from the error of your way, what does he do? He saves your soul from death and in that process, what does he do? He covers your sin. Do you like this part? You know what? You will like this part only if you know that on the day of judgment, God's judgment is based upon what? Upon truth. That is the reason why a spiritual man judges all things. But he himself will be rightly judged by no man. Why? Why? Because if somebody is saying something, he will look at his heart and he says, if this is true, Lord, yes, this is right, Lord. This is right about me. Change me, Lord. Genuinely make me change. Let me change, Lord. Let me not remain the same. Let me be a blessing to others. Okay. And you're not, you're not, uh, what do you say? We are not, um, we don't want, we, we, we are not like people who want therapy. We are people who want cleansing. What does he, what will he do with the, with the, with the, with the priests, with the, with the Levites? What will he do? He says, he's going to purify the sons of Levi by, by what? As a refiner's fire and as a fuller soap. Refiner's fire and but a fuller soap. That is the reason why it says in Isaiah chapter 30, who can dwell in the midst of everlasting burnings? Sinners in Zion are scared. Sinners where? In Zion. This is the truth. That is the reason why every time we receive, we hear the word of God, we say, Lord, thank you for the truth. Thank you for speaking to my heart. Especially on that day, I heard this. I mean, one thing which I was, which I, when I went to the communion table, I said, Lord, I am a lunatic sometimes. 
Because I allow the world to come into my mind and I also sing praises to your name. Right? So we want people who will confront us and turn us. But we, I cannot be a person who will turn you from your truth unless and until I love you first. Okay, I have to build that trust. It happens over a period of time. See, uh, relationships are not, uh, genuine relationships are not built overnight. It's built after, over a period of time where you've been tested and tried and you've known each other's faults and shortcomings and have begun to love each other in spite of your shortcomings so that you cover each other in love. See, that is the reason why the Bible says if you see an elder um, committing something and you want to correct him, you should go to him in a spirit of what? In a meekness. Otherwise, you yourself will fall in that sin. You have to earn these things. You have to understand these are these don't these things don't happen in a day. Okay, these things don't happen in a day. So, brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and we all wander, we stray, keep on straying. Every time we stray, every week, what is happening? We are turning you from all the worldly ways back to the back to the ways of God. Notwithstanding the fact that most of us fall asleep. Okay, someone turns him back. So I, I like what Zach Manan says. You will hate me for saying this today. But on the day of judgment, you will thank me. <laughs> I, I like that, no? What confidence. I know you fellas, he uses a word like that, no? I know you fellas, you don't like what I'm saying. But on the day of judgment, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will thank me for saying this to you. Hmm? And they take it from him because they know he's genuine and he loves them. Right? So many times when I heard him when I was a young, 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 young guy, I used to listen to him like crazy. My heart used to beat against my chest, but I thank God. I thank God. No? He was the one who used to tell, no, people, you fellows, you borrow money from everybody and conveniently forget. You think on the day of judgment, God is going to forgive you. He's not going to require this from you. And, me having borrowed from a lot of people and conveniently forgot <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Terror. And what do you do? You set it right. And on the day of judgment, what will you do? You'll thank those people who have, who've stood in their life on the pulpit and who have preached the word uncompromised in, in an uncompromising fashion so that you can turn, uh, you from death and cover a multitude of sins. Okay. Understand this. So look at what is, what happens. Galatians chapter two, one example. Now when Peter, had come to Antioch, the tale of two visits. When Paul goes to Jerusalem and Peter comes to Antioch. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, they added nothing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> they added nothing to him. They said, Baba, you are great, Baba. To see great. <laughs> but when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed. Because he says, I don't care who these people are. They could be the pillars in God's kingdom. But God accepts no man's face. God is not partial. For before certain men came from the James, from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. And when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. Okay, Fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Some man of God said, no, compromise, compromise is the besetting sin of encouragers. Who's Barnabas? The son of encouragement. Compromise is the besetting sin of encouragers. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth against you, that they were not 
straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all confronted him. You know why? Because judgment is based upon truth. So four things we looked at. Yeah, first thing. How deep is my repentance? Second, how genuine is my confession? Third, how radical is my transformation? And how ferment is my love for my brothers? In that I forgive them and I'm also not afraid of taking correction from them and also not uh, uh, afraid of giving correction to the other. Okay, I'll show you a powerful verse. You know the you know the lips of the immoral woman. What is immoral woman? A woman who says stolen waters are sweet. Pro- Proverbs chapter twenty one. My goodness, I'm one of the twenty two. Sorry, which gives me always the shivers when I read it. Mm-hmm. Twenty two of Proverbs. Am I there? Yeah, I didn't put it there. Proverbs chapter twenty two. Learn from this Solomon who wrote these proverbs and never kept them. Okay. Learn from this man and keep them. <laughs> Verse 14. Proverbs. Is it there on your on the screen, Sammy? Oh, look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 14. The mouth of the forbidden woman, and how does she speak? Is like smooth oil. Remember? She's like smooth. Her name is Chalak. What is her name? Chalak in the Hebrew, very Chalak. The lips of the forbidden woman, verse 14, is like a deep pit. He who, whom the Lord hates or is angry with, who is under the wrath of God will fall into it. You see that? He who is under the wrath of God will fall into it. Okay. So do not love people who flatter you. Love people who will speak to you. Okay. The blows of a friend or the kisses of the enemy. You choose. Amen. So that is how <laughs> truth covers a multitude of sins. What covers a multitude of sins? Truth covers a multitude of sins. Because you've been corrected from the error of your way. And from the path that you're being, that you're uh, uh, taking. So two parts we said. First thing, that uh, four parts. Genuineness of your repentance. Sorry, the depth of your repentance. The genuineness of your confession. The radicalness of your repentance. Uh, sorry, of your uh, sanctification. And the fourth one. The fervency of your love for your brothers. Four aspects. If judgment of God is based upon truth. That is how my response has to be. Now let's go to the second one. Romans chapter 2. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent, the word for impenitent is unrepentant. This is just exactly opposite to repentance. Okay? Impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for, uh, up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to everyone according to his deeds. So let us see the standards, the second standard of God's judgment. First standard. What is the first standard of God's judgment? Judgment according to truth. Second standard of God's judgment? Judgment according to works. Okay? okay. Judgment will be according to works. Judgment is according to works. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, fantastic. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what should, once you are saved, what should be your ambition? To find the good works that God wants you to do before the foundation of the world is laid. 
that you should walk in them. Because he's going to judge everybody according to their works. You have a doubt? Let us see. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Let's see. I know your... Kya baat hai? I know your works. <laughs> that is how he starts. I know your works. I know your works. Etc. Verse 5. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I know your works. I know the first works. I know the current works. And if you do not change now and do the works that you did at first, I know your last works also. And I being a judge, have to judge you according to your works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Works. What is this works talk talking about? This works which are inspired by love or not. Okay. Looked at it in different contexts. But the point here is that God will judge us based upon our works. Remember? The bride has made herself what? Ready. How did she make herself ready? By stitching for herself a dress, a wedding dress. And what is this wedding dress? These wedding garments are the righteous acts of the saints. Do you understand that? Righteous works. Revelation chapter 2, again, verse 9. This is to another church. Another compromise. Uh, uh, this is not a compromise church. This is a, uh, a church which is in Sardis, if I'm not. Smyrna. 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 Verse 9. I know your works. Tribulation and poverty. How does he start? For the, Ephes- Ephes- the church in Ephes- Eph- Ephesus, he says, I know your works. The church in Smyrna, he says, I know your works. Verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my, deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr was, who was also killed among you where Satan dwells. You see that? I know your works. Another church. Hmm? Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And verse 19, I know your works. He's going to judge us according to our works. Whether they are good or whether they are bad. Whether they are works which are based upon obedience and love or works which you did as a figment. I mean, you wanted to do those things and you just went ahead and did. No? I know your works, love, service, faith and your patience and for your works the last are more than the first. Do you see that? He's also not only qualifying the work, he's also quantifying the work. That your works have increased now. There he's qualifying the work. He's saying your works are absolutely loveless works. Here, your works are more now. They're increasing in quantity. They're increasing. It started with little. Now, you're doing more. Hmm? Verse 23. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am, I am who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your work. God is a God who is going to judge our works. That is the reason why he says, let every workman know exactly how he's building. Whether he's building upon what? Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver or precious stones. Because that day will test what kind of a work it is. What kind of a work it is. All the works of Lot were burnt. And he escaped. All his works were gone. Albeit he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. But he, his works were completely burnt. Right? No works to show. Nothing to show. That's what he says. Some people's works go ahead of them. Some people's works will follow them. 
I hope your works follow you. It says in Revelation chapter 14, it says, your works will follow you. You have rested there, but your works are going to follow you. And God is going to judge us according to our works. According to our works. Revelation chapter 2, verse 24. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they as they say, I will put on your uh, on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works, you see that, until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. My works. Because your works are not your works, they are my works. Understand that. So what is God going to judge? He's going to judge and see, okay, is this your work or this is my work? That is how he's going to judge. According to your works. Sometimes, Lord, I did so much. Did I ask you to do? That's what he's going to ask for too many of us. Did I ask you to do this? Did you ask of me? Did you inquire of me? You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they just first do it. And then they think that they can make corrections as they go on. You know what God is going to do? He's going to frustrate that work if it is not started from him. He's going to frustrate it. He's going to bring, bring it to a full stop and he's going to purge it off and then he'll restart it again. Understand that. Okay. God is going to judge us according to our works, whether it is his work or my work. Okay. Revelation chapter three. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, these things says, he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works. And look at what he says, how he qualifies his work. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that they are, that, uh, that are about to die, about to die. For I have not found your works. What? Perfect before God. What is the problem with the pastor and sardis? He will start one thing and never, never finish it. He's imperfect. He's slack. Understand? He's slack. He's lazy. He will start with tremendous vigor. Halfway. No. Antrudu. Arambhasurudu. Arambhasurudu means with great vigor we will start halfway, finish, gone. I know so many people who start PhD like that. <laughs> Full vigor, halfway gone. Two, three years into the lab, they're gone. <laughs> they cannot sustain. <laughs> okay. They start, uh, what is it, training for, what is it, uh, UPSC exam. UPSC, UPSC, one attempt, second attempt, third attempt, after that, finished over. You should see, I don't want to recommend it now. If you go to YouTube, uh, goodness, some of the some of some inspiring stories are there. No, until he finishes it, he will not stop. Like you know, you should be like Boaz. No, Ruth comes to Boaz, and she sleep, and she comes and uh, you know sleeps on his at his feet, and the next day she goes. I mean, she goes back to her mother-in-law. You know what mother-in-law says? Naomi says, "I know this man. Until he has finished his work, he is not going to keep quiet." He's an achiever. You give it to him, he's going to complete it. It's going to be a done deal. If pastor gives you a work, it has to be a done deal. No matter what. You've entrusted me this work, I'm going to finish it and I'm going to do it. That's it. It's going to be complete because God is going to judge me according to my works. Don't go to heaven. That's the reason why it says, no, the person who starts a house, if he has only half constructed house, what will happen to other people? They will look at it and they will start what? Laughing. Mocking. You ought to know the price and you ought to be willing to pay it. 
pay for it. Okay, Your works are not perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you upon, upon, your, uh, upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Okay, So, it should be not your works, but my works and the works that God give to you, you have to complete it. What should you do? You should complete it. We'll come to that later on. Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, I write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has a key of David, etc. And verse 8, I know your works. You see again, over and over and over again, he's saying, I know your works. He's not telling this to the people who are outside the church. He's telling it to the church. That is the reason I'm saying the judgment of God is according to what? Is according to your works. It is not for people who are outside the church. It is for the people who are inside the church. Alright. Alright. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast to what you have. That no one takes your crown. The final church. Again, same thing. And to the angel of the church of laudations, these things are right. Verse 15. I know your works. And verse 19. Therefore be zealous and repent. Know your works. So what have we been created for? That we have been created for good works. Okay. And what does God do in order for us to accomplish these good works? What does God give us? He gives us grace. Titus chapter 2 will say this. Very, very important verse. No? How do we have the time and the energy and the power to finish the work that God has given us? This is the grace of God. Again, Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does it do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know what the problem is? If you do not deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, you may be saved. Your sins may have been forgiven. But I'll tell you something, you will waste a lot of time in worldly lusts. Waste a lot of time. First Peter chapter 4, I, I, I don't have to uh, say this again, I didn't put it there. First Peter chapter 4, look at what it says in First Peter chapter 4, let me read, read this to you. Okay. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whatever or whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, for but for the will of God. But for the will of God. You see that? You have wasted sufficient time. But the problem is, it says, blessed is a man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditate day and night. Why don't we have the time to meditate on the word day and night? Because we, what do we do? We stand in the way of the ungodly, we stand in the way of sinners, and we sit with mockers, and we waste our time on YouTube, and all the nonsense which comes through the internet. What has happened? We have wasted our time. But what does grace of God say? Teaches us to say no. Because in this, that's what it says. It says, do not be drunk with wine in which is what? What is dissipation? What does dissipation mean? What is dissipation? Waste? You understand? Okay. I, I do, I have very little time to finish what God, God wants me to finish. That is the reason why when people say, how, how old are you? It's actually a deadly reminder for me. One year, one year is over. I mean, you're young, you think, okay, I'm only 25, 23, 24, and you're in your late 20s, late 30s. You say you have all the time in the world. Let me tell you something. The Philistines will be upon you very soon. And the 40s will be upon you very soon. And you will be still lap, uh, lying on the, uh, on, the, on the lap of Delilah, wasting your time on nonsense. Don't let your the enemy steal 
your destiny. The enemy comes to what? Steal, to kill and to destroy. That's what he comes. And what does he steal? He steals your time by allowing you to enjoy all this YouTube and nonsense which comes on the television. We have two months left. That means what? How much of the year is over? One-sixth of the year is left. How much of the, of the year is left? One-sixth of the year is left. Less than. In this one-sixth of this year, say, Lord, let me perfect this year. Let it not be. <laughs> one-sixth means, six means, is a number of man, right? Let it be complete, Lord. Whatever you asked for me to do this year, let me do it. Because you are willing to give the years that the locusts have eaten. I don't want to waste the rest of my time. Look at what it says. For the grace of God that brings salvation to all has appeared to all men, teaching us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That is the cleansing part, sanctification part. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. What? Zealous for what? For good works. Why would you, Why did you lose your zeal for good works? Because you are spending time in what? Ungodliness, in worldly lusts. Not living soberly, not living righteously in this present age. You're wasting time on nonsense. Will you have the zeal? Let me tell you something. You, you, you indulge in two, three hours of watching television or whatever it is. You know what will happen? You will lose your appetite for the word of God for that day. It's gone. It will not come back again. Okay, now uh, suddenly I'm watching YouTube. Let me switch it off and switch on to uh, this channel called Godly Channel. It's not going to work. Empirical data is there now in your own life. Yeah? <laughs> it's not going to work. Why? Because the judgment of God is based upon truth. Second, the judgment of God is based upon what? Your works. Your works. Look at what it says in First Corinthians chapter 15. We have to learn from this great man of God. Verse 9 onwards, for I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Meaning if you put a competition between all the people who worked hard, this man will come on prime, will, will always come first. You will have the audacity to tell the church, you know what, I worked all, harder than all of you fellows. You are lazy, you are absolutely slack in your, in your, in your, in your, in your zeal towards the things of God. But you know what? I worked, I outrust you in as far as my zeal for the, for the house of God has, is, is, is concerned. You know what Elijah has to say? What do you know what Elijah has to say? I alone am left zealous for Yahweh. Can you have this? Will you have that testimony? I alone am left zealous for Yahweh. Don't waste your time on zeal killers, my dear brothers. It's very dangerous because God is going to judge us according to our works. And whatever work he has given to you, you should have what? Finished it. That's exactly what Paul says, no? Hard, hard, worked hard, worked hard, worked hard. My goodness, he was conscious about time, isn't it? Every place he went, he was conscious about time. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but by the grace of God which is in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so also you. Look at what it says. I love this verse. Colossians chapter 1. Make it your life statement. What a powerful verse. Colossians chapter 1, last two verses, 26 and 27. I forgot to put that verse. Okay. 
Colossians chapter 1. Hmm? Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. I'm, 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 I'm reading this from the ESV version, okay? Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. Sammy, you can put it on the, on the, on the, on the internet, okay? Verse 28. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Who is that? Him we proclaim? Jesus Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with what wisdom? All wisdom. What wisdom? All wisdom. Kuncham wisdom gadu. So if I have to preach the word of God, what do I need? Not just wisdom. All wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is my ambition. Look, look at verse 29. For this I toil. Other translations will use the word. I labor, struggling with all his energy that works mightily in me. You see that? The grace that he has given me has not gone in vain. I don't abuse the grace of God, but I use the grace of God. I trap the grace of God and I use the grace of God so that I can finish the work of God in my life. Did you get that? You know why? Because time is very little. Even for Jesus, it was very little. You know what it says in, what he says in John's Gospel chapter 9? You know this was very well, right? Look at what he says. I, everybody read that. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And the night is coming when no one can work. Let me tell you, there's a particular period of time where you can work. There's a particular period of time where you can spend time learning stuff. After that, you cannot learn. When you're young. I'm telling you, my dear brothers, don't waste your young years. After that, you try to learn certain things, it will not come to you. And you will be frustrated and struggling with, and you look at other, 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 other young people and all you will have for, have will, will be, oh, I wish, regret, let that not be our testimony. Okay. When you're young, invest your time. Invest your time. When you have all the energy, don't waste on senseless things. Okay. Tenth class, Ravata. What comes college? College, dangerous days. You should not have time. That is how you have to be so busy. Because idle man's mind is a, a devil's workshop. It is true. Yeah. I like the word in Shawshank Redemption. A powerful state uh, dialogue. Get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> but busy in both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I must work the works of him that he sent me while it is day. Because after a particular period of time, you will lose interest. You know, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. You know what? Grinders are few now. My eyes are dim. I can't see. There's no pleasure. You know why? Because when you were young, what were you doing? Enjoying with 900 women. I mean, I cannot imagine that. Still now, it's impossible for me to fathom it. I mean, think about it, no? Where did polygamy start? Who started polygamy? Which start, which line started the, uh, the, the polygamy? Anybody knows? Yes, exactly. The line of Cain? Ada and Zilla, right? Ada and Zilla. I murdered a man in my anger. Lamech? And what do you, what are you doing? Are you the line of Cain? Or the line of David? In the beginning it was not so. He says in Matthew chapter 19. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, what am am I? I am the light of the world. As long as the Holy Spirit is in the world, 
He is the light of the world. And when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, gone. It's curtains for you now. God is going to judge you according to truth and God is going to judge you according to your works. And which works? Not your work. His works. That's what he says. I must work the works of him who sent me, not my works. You know, you have to first find time to know what what those works are. You have to spend time with God. If you spend time with with all the other nonsense things, where will you have to, uh, where will you have, uh, what do you say, time to spend time with God? No, first thing the baby does when she, when, when he, when the baby is very young, what, what does, what does it do? What does it do the maximum amount of time? Thank you very much. Sleep. What, that is what we call as rest. You know, one thing we believers don't know is to sleep, is to rest. You are busy, 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 witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. Okay. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn. And you will find what? Rest. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Psalm 90. Look at what... uh, the great man Moses has to say, teach us to number our days. How many of you know simple natural numbers? What numbers are there? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You know, 0 is not a natural number. You know that, right? Why is it not a natural number? Ask me, what is 0? Can you show me 0? Ah, that's the point. That's the reason why it's not a natural number. <laughs> you will get a small class in number theory also. Okay, it's a whole number, but not a natural number. Teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now he doesn't say teach us wisdom. <laughs> you know what he says? Gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. The years in which you have seen that which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Your work, Lord. Your work, Lord. And then he says, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of hands. So first of all, let us behold your work and once I behold God, behold God's work, let it be established in my life because you know why? Because one day, God is going to judge me according to my works. Understand that? Mm-hmm. John's Gospel chapter 4. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Okay. What is that? Not biryani, mutton, chicken, nothing. Or whatever it is. Hmm? Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Look at every time Jesus makes a spiritual statement, this fellow always will think in earthly terms. Jesus said, him. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. You know what it tells me? If I want to gain strength in my spirit, what should I do? His work. If I'm weak in faith and weak in my spirit, probability is I'm not doing his work. If I'm 
tired and worn out and weary and dragging myself to church. The problem is, you're not doing your work, Baba. God's work, Baba. You're doing your own work. If you would have done the work of God, you know what will happen? You will be jumping to church on Sunday morning. Am I right? Because you know your heart. Through the week you've been doing your work and suddenly you want to do the work of God on Sunday morning. How is it going to happen, Baba? Mm-hmm. Do you, do not, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest. Do you look, look for opportunity? Everywhere Jesus went, he looked for opportunity. In the prison, you know, Onesimus started with Paul. Finished. His, his fate is decided. <laughs> the moment you are tied with Apostle Paul, your fate, fate is decided. The prisoner's guards, prisoner's guards' fate is decided the moment they have, they have been tied to Apostle Paul. They have been not tied to Apostle Paul. Sorry, Apostle Paul is not tied to him. Tied to them. They have been tied to Apostle Paul. They have been tied to the gospel. He will preach the gospel and he says, you know what? Before you know it, the entire, there's a house church in Caesar's household also. See, redeeming, that's what we call as redeeming the time, knowing that the days are evil, every opportunity see it, behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look for the fields for they are already white for the harvest, and what he says and he who, he who reaps will receive what? you know what? you work God is going to pay you there don't look for your five, three figure salary or four figure salary or whatever figure salary on earth worry about your salary there I mean, with wages, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, my imagination. Meaning, there also I should buy something. And you have to buy something, I should afford it. There will be so many things which are available in heaven. But I will not have sufficient wages to buy. <laughs> Imagine that way. Why do we go to top schools? Don't tell me I am very much interested in research. Only few people are actually. Hmm? Why? Because of? Mula. Kada. Hmm? And he who reaps wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You see that? Labor, labor, labor. Okay. So what is the problem? You are lazy. What it says in Proverbs chapter 10. He who has a slack hand becomes poor spiritually. But also uh, in the worldly terms also. If you are a slack fellow, you are lazy, you will become poor. Hmm? But the hand of the diligent makes what? Rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. He who causes shame. What is what, what time is it right now? Not 11, 10.55. It is harvest time. And what are you doing? Sleeping. Or giving excuses. What excuses are you giving? I'll show you one st- stupid and the most ridiculous excuses people can give. There is a lot of deep, you know, there's a spiritual reality to that as well. But I'll, let me show you some, uh, I'll show you a lesser interpretation, a lesser application and a greater application. Okay? A lesser application and a greater application. Proverbs chapter 22. A lazy man says, what is outside? 
there is a lion outside and I shall be slain in streets. Meaning, Baba, if I go out, I will die. What is there outside? I mean, what is the lazy? That means stupid and ridiculous and illogical reasons as to why he can't work. Or, what does the lazy man says? Let me tell you. He's very, he's lazy in spiritual terms. He knows, he knows, he knows for a fact that if he goes into God's vineyard and begins to do the work of God, who's going to attack him? Hmm, but is he afraid? He's scared. What grips him? What stops him is fear. I, I remember, um, one man of God, very powerful minister, okay? Uh, he was telling his testimony or, or testimony of the pastor he knows. Uh, you know, he was, he was given this deliverance ministry, powerful ministry, and he goes to this village and he preaches the word of God there and people are set free. A lot of people are added to the kingdom of God and with that comes a lot of persecution and he's beaten up and the next or next day he's in, he's in the hospital. So, one of his close relatives, who's also a pastor in that village, comes to him in the hospital and he says, let us say his name is Sammy. Sammy, I told you no. Don't go to this de- devil. I leave the devil alone. He also leaves me alone. We have a very nice mutual understanding. Why do you want to get yourself into all kinds of this, uh, things like this deliverance ministry? Look what happened to you now. That is the reason why you don't have any fruit in your in your in your in your village. Somebody has to come, break the strongholds, and establish a church. What were you doing all these years? You're like Saul, and uh, the people are following him. What are they doing? Describing the devil. And eating three meals, three meals a day. Lazy man. There's a lion outside. And I shall be slain in the streets. What do I, what do I say, Lord? You know what, exactly, exactly what happened to Paul, right? Paul and Silas, you know, every time pastor uses the word. What, why were they in prison? Because they delivered a girl who was demon possessed. What happened? Next minute, they were beaten and the backs were broken and they are in prison. What are they doing in prison? Singing songs and rejoicing and praying. Paul is stoned with stones. He's taken outside and they all think that he's dead. All the believers stand across him and pray for him. He's resurrected from the dead and what does he do now? Flee for his life? No, he goes back to the city preaching the gospel. Is he afraid of the lion? No way. The lion is afraid of him after a while. And you know what the lion, lion is thinking? When will I get rid of this fellow? When will I get rid of this fellow? Okay. God is going to judge us according to our works. So two standards I looked at today. There are seven standards, or at least eight, if I'm right, in the entire passage. I didn't have time to, I don't, I know, I don't have time to finish all of them in depth. We're going to do a depth study on that. The first thing, God's judgment is based upon truth. So if God's judgment is based upon truth, how deep is my repentance? How genuine is my confession? How radical is my sanctification? And how fervent is my love? Four things. Okay. Right? Fifth one, second one we looked at, God's judgment is based upon your works. Am I doing my work or his work? 
And if I have to do his work, what, what should I do? I have to spend time with God so that I, I will know his work. I want to put away all kinds of worldly things, all kinds of things which will waste my time and spend time in his presence so that I may know his work. I may be held, behold his work so that he may establish the work of my hands and ultimately bless me. I don't want to be lazy. I want to redeem my time knowing that I have a specific time given to me to finish God, what, what God has appointed for me and I want to re- redeem those opportunities and I want to redeem those moments and I want to lose God's timing in my life. So for all of us, all of us who have messed up, what do we say? Lord, the rest of the time. What do I say? The rest of the time. I do not want to live for the lusts of the flesh but for the will of God. What do I say? I do not live for the lusts of the flesh, but for the will of God. I have spent sufficient time, Lord, in nonsense. But the rest of the time, I want to live for your glory. Because your judgment is based upon truth. Your judgment is based upon your works. Amen. Very difficult to say amen, I know. Very difficult. Very, very, very difficult to say amen. Okay, if you say amen, <laughs> let us pray. <laughs> Father, we just want to thank God. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given to us. Lord, we know that one day you are going to judge us. Your children to reward them. And that day we don't want to be ashamed, Lord. We don't want to see others with our crowns on their heads. We don't want to be like Reuben who gave away his birthright For mandrakes, oh Lord. He was a nice man. He had genuine love for his, for his brother. But he lost it all. Because he got distracted with the lust of his flesh. And this morning, oh Lord, We as your people, as your children, we know that you are our father. But you judge us without partiality. That is another way you judge us. We want to fear. We want to know the terror of God. We want to be persuaded not to waste the rest of the time that we live in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Because As your son said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The judgment of God is based upon truth. The judgment of God is based upon your works, our works. And therefore I pray Lord Jesus, we will have sufficient works which will follow us which will give us wages that we can enjoy your presence forever. To that end, I pray that you would bless us all and grant us the tenacity, the consciousness and the inclination that we will not waste our time for nonsense, but we live our life for eternity. The fleeting pleasures of sin will reject, but we will be willing to take the reproach alongside the people of God, knowing that, that, that our reward on the other side is incredible, is immortal, is incorruptible. Thank you, Father, for this time once again. To worship you, Lord, we praise you. We give you glory.
commit all of us into your hands. Prepare us, O Lord. Even in the days to come, knowing, Lord, we are living in troubled times. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be conscious that it is appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. That we should all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we have done, whether good or bad. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.